Brother, you can respond too. That's good. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, and that you would shake our souls to live out the truth of what we see this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have two problems as humans. One of those problems is that we don't see things through. We don't like to finish things off. We give up easily on many things that could be really good for us because they are either too hard or because we don't want to stop what we're doing in order to accomplish what's before us. And it's in light of that reality that we come to God's word this morning and hear the message of Hebrews 10, 26 through 39. My argument for us this morning is that we must beware of falling into continuous or repetitive sin And we do so by faithfully enduring in our faith in Lord Jesus Christ. We must beware of falling into continuous sin by faithfully enduring through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think those are the two sections that we will see this morning, a warning and then an affirmation or a response to us as God's people here in this passage. So let's look at the first idea, this warning that the author of the book of Hebrews gives to these people, and starting in verse 26. In light of this passage, as we come to this, we must remember what Caleb preached just a few weeks back as a positive encouragement that was based on Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice who gives us real assurance, and therefore, by his work and his shedding of his blood, we can, with confidence, actually draw into the presence of God for worship. And in light of that, Caleb exhorted us as brothers and sisters to enter into God's presence in boldness by drawing near and worshiping together faithfully and regularly as God's people. And now we come to verse 26 where he then builds upon what he's just said in 19 through 25. And we must remember, verse 25, that warning, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. What he has just said positively about the encouragement to gather together as God's people to encourage each other spiritually He gives on the precipice of a warning in which he says, the day is drawing near. We're going to stand before God. So brothers and sisters, let's not neglect gathering together because we have to answer before the Lord for how we've gathered to worship with him and his people. And in light of that, verse 26 says, the day of the Lord is approaching, and if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. So this starts with this warning. Don't neglect gathering together with God's people, hearing the truth of God's word, and encouraging each other, because the day is approaching, and if we deliberately sin, continue to rebel against God, there's a day in which we're going to stand before him. And if we stand before him saying, we listened, but we didn't like what we heard, there's no sacrifice for us. 10, 1 through 18, that confidence that we have because the work of Jesus, the blood of Jesus in which we can stand before God, 
If we don't take that sacrifice, we don't believe in that sacrifice, when we stand before God, there's nothing that remains for us. We can't stand before God and say, well, God, I deserve to be with you in heaven because I'm a good person. Because our goodness doesn't match up to what was required. We can't stand before God and say, well, I did nice things for other people because that doesn't live up to what was required. We can't stand before God and say, God, you should let us in just because I said so, because we're not God. The only reason we can stand before God the Almighty and have confidence of knowing him and being with him forever is because of the work of Jesus. So what are we to do? We're to beware. To beware of continuously sinning. The reality of what the author points us to comes out in the later verses, 27 through 31. If we go on deliberately sinning after hearing the word of truth, there is indeed no sacrifice for us, but there is a terrifying expectation, a reality of judgment in which we incur the wrath of God. The fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. In our sin... We are a people who are rebelling against God. And in his letter to the Romans, Paul told us that we were enemies of God in chapter 5. He gave us good news that while we were still enemies, God sent Christ to die for us in our place so that we would no longer be enemies, but friends of God, belong to his family. But for those, this fourth warning in the book of Hebrews, the author has been saying again and again that we must not only proclaim what we believe, we must live by what we believe, and we must rest in Jesus alone. Our confidence has to be in Him and not in ourselves. And so he tells us that if we continue to just go on and on and on about ourselves, we're ending up with a final call that we're not going to desire or appreciate. We will incur God's judgment if we do not trust in him after hearing the truth. And this isn't just a reality that comes because of the author's words to the Hebrews. This is a reality he points to that has existed in the entirety of the Bible. Look at verse 28. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And the Levitical law, the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, the way that God's people related to him was through the sacrificial system. If you were a sin, you needed to be covered through your repentance through the slaughtering of an animal, the blood spilt of another animal. What we found through the book of Hebrews so far is that that repetitious offering did not please God because it wasn't able to finally and fully satisfy what he desired for his people. And so Jesus has come to finally and fully satisfy what was required of his people. But sin was so serious in the Old Testament that it tells us that those who disregarded the law, those who heard the word of truth, heard what it meant for them to live in God's presence and denied it, were guilty in such a way that they were capitally punished for their sinfulness. Now, this isn't something that Moses told the people to take lightly. This isn't just something flippantly. This isn't just a list of rules and regulations. He's saying that this has to be affirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
And so what happened to these people who persisted in sin? They were executed. They were executed before the people as an example of a warning to not continue in their sin. Whoa, we must beware of the cost of our sin. But not only that, if that's what's existed in the old covenant, how should we then translate that to what we see in the new covenant through the New Testament and the sacrifice of Jesus? The author answers that through question in verse 29. It was bad in the Old Testament. But in 29, he says, How much worse do you think one will deserve who is trampled on the Son of God, who is regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? In the Old Covenant, we were given a way to be right with God, and in the New Covenant, we're given grace. In the New Covenant, through Jesus, we're given what we don't deserve and a righteousness that we don't have in Christ. And for those that deny this, they are essentially doing what the author says here, trampling upon the Son of God. Their sin's so serious that they're saying that sacrifice, that offering, I know it's there, I hear it's there, I acknowledge it, but I don't care, therefore I'm just going to trample over my enemy. They have trampled upon him. They've profaned the blood of the covenant. In profaning the blood of the covenant, what they're essentially saying is, Jesus, I know you've spilt your blood, but that's not good enough for me. It's meaningless. You just spilt your blood. You're just just another guy. It doesn't mean anything. And insulted the spirit of grace. God, in his grace, redeems people. Salvation to us is a gift that we don't deserve. And when people deny that gift, they're saying, God, you are worthless. What does the Lord Almighty do to people who deliberately sin? Verse 30 tells us that he carries out his vengeance. That those who wrong him reap their reward. Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And the author concludes by saying it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what are we to do with this warning that we see here in Hebrews 10, 26 through 31? Brothers and sisters, we're to beware of the consequences of our sin. If you're not a Christian and you're gathering with us this morning, you are an enemy of God. You need to hear that in your sin, your rebellion makes you an enemy with God. And that enmity is terrifying. It's a consequence that has serious weight. It's not one that we come to with light this morning. Sin, according to the Bible, is rebellion against God that deserves eternal separation from him. And we need to hear this, that God, in his holiness, will repay those who sin against him. So non-Christian, if you're hearing this warning this morning, let it be not just a warning of the cause of your sin and the weight of your sin. Let it be an encouragement 
to see that there's another way, that you don't have to be an enemy with God. Through the gospel, Jesus has made a way for us so that we're no longer enemies, but friends, that we belong, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters. God, according to the Bible, loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us in our place so that what we did deserve, we don't get in Christ only if we repent of our sin and believe in him. So hear this warning, but respond to what Jesus has done. Consider the insult of rejecting God. Spurgeon once said this. He said, have you ever considered how much you insult God the Father by rejecting Christ? Let's put it into an image that we can see for ourselves. Say someone was to invite you to a feast. You come and you sit at the table and dash down every dish. And you throw away everything on the ground and you trample on it. Would that not be an insult? to the one that invited you into their home? If you were a poor beggar at the door and a rich man had bidden you into his feast out of pure charity, what would you deserve if you had treated his provisions in this way? And yet this is just your case. You are not deserving of God. You were a poor sinner without any claim upon him, and yet he has been pleased to prepare a table for you. His oxen and his fattened calf has been killed, and now you will not come? You do worse. Not only do you not come to the table, you raise objection to the feast. I don't like what's at the table. You despise the pleasant land and the, and the good provision of God. Just think at what expense the provision of your salvation has been made. The author of life has invited you to the table. He's provided a meal for you. And you say, Lord, I don't want it. Your sin is serious. The invitation is glorious. But consider the weight of not responding. And if you do respond to the gospel, friend, you need to hear this, that your life will change. That the things that you once enjoyed may not be indeed honoring to God. It may mean that the things that you enjoy doing, you have to give up. Don't give in to the temptation. Turn from your former way of living in light of the gospel, but hear the gospel portrait in this. In light of this hard warning, in light of the seriousness of our sin, we must see the grace of the gospel, the greatness of it. Though our former way of living may have been enjoyable, what we have in Christ is even better. What we have in Christ is whole. It's bigger. It's beautiful. It's transformative. So what you once denied, now coming to Christ and living with him, you enjoy with greater satisfaction. And brothers and sisters, if you're here and you're a Christian this morning, I want you to notice one of the first things that he says in verse 26. He's not just pointing out to non-believers here. Notice what he says, for if we go on deliberately sinning. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Jordan, are you going to go down that theological rabbit trap of saying that there's no way to be assured of your salvation? No, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) 
I believe that we can be fully assured of our salvation in Christ. But we do continuously need to be warned of the effect of our sin. Notice the we that the preacher puts in here. He's not necessarily conveying that the congregation is guilty of doing this, but he is warning them that sin has a way of rearing its ugly head in our lives and that we need to be weary of its temptation and its driving us to maybe what we find is our satisfaction. There may be some that are in this congregation that are perilously, perilously close to falling in sin. Some who may even ruin their testimony because they proclaim with their lips, but their lives are not living out transformation. They're saying they believe in the power of the gospel, but they're denying it. And Paul tells Timothy that that is godlessness. Proclaiming the truth, but not living by the truth has serious consequences. So Christian, hear the warning here, not just for the non-Christian, but be reminded of the danger of your sin. Beware of continuous repetitive sin. Beware of even how we consider our sin. Maybe we live in light of the grace of God and we say, hey, I've got the gospel, this is amazing. Now I have right standing before God and we continue to fall into this pattern of sinful behavior. We're still called to deny our sin, to kill it to live in light of transformation. Christian, continue to deny your sin with self-control. Are there things that you know are going to be challenges in your life? Things where you may have patterns that are not healthy? Don't set yourself into a position of continuing to fall in weakness. Right? I'll give you a couple of examples. Maybe you appreciate a glass of wine here and there or a nice beer here and there. You're one drink away from falling into something that's not good for you. If you're tempted to keep going, maybe you need to change your course. Make sure that you're living in self-control and moderation and avoiding what the Bible calls drunkenness. Maybe for you it's not alcohol. Okay, maybe it's your tongue. Maybe you are quick to say things in a sharp manner with a wrong tone. Don't get into situations where you're constantly beating down people. That will not be good for your sanctification. If we know that we have areas of weakness in our sin... It's foolish for us to live in ways where we're continuously tempted to walk in that sin. Change course. Make a drastic change. That's what repentance means. It means to make a 180 turn. It's not just the acknowledgement of our wrong. It's the way of living in a different light. It's what the gospel represents to us. We were once children of darkness and now we're children of light. Those are two different things. So put what you are weak in in light of the gospel and live in a way where you can exercise self-control. And maybe that means for you even abstinence of things that you enjoy. But this isn't just a message of deny yourself from all the things that life enjoys. So 
maybe you can have a glass of wine and enjoy that and not fall into the temptation of drunkenness. Then John Calvin would say, drink a glass of wine to the glory of God. But think of your brother or sister. You know, so for those of you that don't know me, I do like beer. But I am very aware of when somebody doesn't like beer. So what do I do? I don't drink a beer in front of them because that's not wise. (laughs) That's not helpful to them. Or maybe I know of somebody who struggled with a, a pattern of going too far with drinking beer and they've gotten into alcoholism. I am going to not even have anything near them out of my love and care for them. I can appreciate what God has made. I can appreciate a good beverage, but that doesn't mean that I need to have it in order to find satisfaction, especially that wrong, if it's a temptation for me or a temptation for another person. And now you can find out that I am indeed a Reformed Baptist. <laughs> but we need to live in self-control. But friends, I also want to avoid the, the pit trap of legalism here. By saying, if you don't live the same way that I live, then you're not a good Christian. Right? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible gives us clear boundary lines that are helpful to us, and we need to let the Bible's statements be the Bible's statements. So, for those like alcohol, an area of liberty, right? The Bible doesn't say we can't drink, it says don't be a drunkard. So, if we say that someone's not a Christian because they have a beer here and there, Show me verse and chapter, please. It's not there. Let God's word be God's word. Don't live in light of your own legalism. It's easier to say, indulge in it or avoid it. But often, the Bible, especially in areas of liberty, calls us to live somewhere in the middle with wisdom. So wherever the principle is, the principle, live by the principle. But remember, the principle isn't necessarily always command. There is a serious warning for us when we persist in sin. We fall into the hands of the living God. To be under his wrath, be under his fury, is a serious thing for us. It's something we need to be wary of. We need to respond to the gospel. And so, in light of that warning, in verse 32, the author turns his attention to then focus in on how these believers can walk in confidence. And he starts by saying, remember. Remember what? The earlier days when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated this way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Beware of your sin, but hold on to what you have in Jesus. Hold on to what you have in Jesus, friends. 
Notice he starts by reminding them of their former early days. This struggle of sin is something that they've continued in. Hey, friend, this morning, if you're a Christian, Jesus promises us that we're going to suffer. This side of heaven, we are not going to perfectly defeat sin. Our sin is perfectly defeated in Christ, and when we stand before him, we'll no longer wrestle with sin. I look forward to the day where I'm not tempted. I look forward to the day where whatever I say is God-glorifying. But that day isn't here. That day is before my king. And so in the meantime, I'm going to have a struggle. Many of us don't look forward to the struggle. But that doesn't mean that it's going away. These Christians endured hard things. It says that they were publicly taunted, that they were afflicted, that means beaten, that at other times they were actually companions with those that were imprisoned, that means that they themselves were in jail for their faith, that they had even had their things taken confiscated and destroyed, and how did they respond? With joy. How did they have joy? Because what they valued most wasn't their earthly possession, it was what they had in Jesus. An enduring possession, a better possession. I think Ethan read the ESV, and it says an abiding possession. What a wonderful translation. In Jesus, we have a Savior who has given us everything. In Jesus, we have life to its fullest. Struggles, yes, this side of heaven, but an enduring possession where we're with God in his kingdom, in his glory forever. Which is why he gives us the encouragement of verse 35. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. There's a reward for us in heaven. As we work and strive for the glory of God here on earth, we will stand before God and and see his glory and receive the reward of our faith in living with him forever. And what do we do in the meantime? We endure. We endure. We need endurance so that after we've done God's will, we may receive what is promised. So I think in light of what the author drives home here, we have three applications. The first is to endure. The word for enduring in Greek used here is closely associated with the words for steadfastness or patience. It's the idea of seeing something through. At the beginning of the sermon, I said, we have a problem. We don't like to see things through. I want to give you a, a little illustration this morning, something for you to consider. Say I was to start a project, like building a house. You might find this ironic because we just lived through my in-laws building their house, right? Say I start a house, I invest a great deal of my money, my time, and energy into building this home. Right? It's everything that I want. But along the way, it just keeps getting harder, and it feels like I'm spending more money, and maybe I don't like how long it's taking. So a few months into the project, I decide that... The frame is up to the house. It's all wired. I purchased the land. I'm locked in on it alone. But it's just taking too long, so I'm not going to finish it. 
yeah, all of you have the right response right now. You're like, you fool, <laughs> right? See it through, right? Because if I don't see the project through, I have a few problems. The bank's coming after me, right? And they always want their money, right? And they like to do with yours whatever they want, right? But the other problem is, is that I don't have a place to live, right? I'm homeless now without any money, and I may think, oh, I can just go start another project right there. But if I go to start to build a new home, they're going to say, hey, you have an outstanding mortgage that you haven't lived up to. We're not giving you any money. It, that would be foolish of me, wouldn't it? I've wasted time, money, resources, energy. I've made peril of my life. Growing in Christ takes patient endurance. Oftentimes, we want our sanctification to be like a microwave. We pop in the dish, we hit the button for 30 seconds, and boom, it's finished. But that's not sanctification. Our growing like Jesus isn't like the microwave meal. It's the slow cooker. It's the roast that takes time and care and energy and good seasoning. And all the Baptists said, Amen. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, the road to maturing in Christ is not the one with the least objects in the way, it's often the one that takes the most discipline that takes work, that takes sacrifice, that takes not only time but careful attention. It's the one where that at times we may even feel like we just want to throw in the towel because we've got nothing left. That's the road to growing in Jesus. It's not glorious. In fact, it's gritty and it's ugly. And anybody that tells you otherwise, you send them my way. I'll have a chat with them. But not only do we need to think about enduring in light of our own sanctification, our own lives, our own progress, we need to think about enduring as this local church. What this particular church will become will take time. Hear me clearly. It's going to take time. It's going to require your patience with me. I am 30 and I'm growing. I'm not going to be the perfect pastor, the perfect preacher, the perfect one who cares for you, the perfect friend, the perfect leader, or the perfect servant, but Jesus is. I'm not, but Jesus is. And I need him to work in me. And I, you need him to work in me too. But you've got to be patient. We're in progress. It's also going to require your sacrifice and patience in a number of ways. This church won't become what it is until we learn to deal with the people that we call brothers and sisters in Christ. The people here are going to offend you. They will. If they haven't already, they will offend you. There will be times where it feels like they're not jumping in, they're not helping. There will be times where they're going to get under your skin. But you have to patiently endure with them. 
Guys, it's going to require your reputation and confidence within this local church. You will become known for your faith in every area of your life, not just what you do Sunday to Sunday, but in every area of your life. If we're walking out the call of the gospel, your coworkers are going to find out you're a Jesus freak. The people at town hall are going to find out you're a Jesus freak. On your street, they're going to find that out quick. As you become more known for following Jesus, it will make you out to be the weird person in your family, your job, maybe even in your friend groups. You'll have those awkward moments that God will preordain for you to share the gospel in. Mine is like every time I meet somebody new. They go, oh, well, what do you do for work? (laughs) Right? And that's my invitation for a gospel bomb. Every time, right? Say, I'm a pastor. What does that mean? Let me tell you, right? No matter what it costs you with your reputation, you will have to resolve that it's worth it. And friend, it may even cost you your job. Some of you are living in that reality right now. Some of you are feeling that pressure. And it might cost you that. Brother, sister, it's worth it. Live for the gospel. Know that the church will be here for you and that we're going to show up and put our money where our mouth is and live with you and support you through that time. No matter what it costs you, you'll have to resolve that it's, it's worth it to share the good news with people who are lost and may even hear you and then say, I don't want to listen to that and I reject its message. There are going to be times where it feels stupid to stand before people and share this good news and have them look at you like you've got four different heads And call you a weirdo. It's worth it. It's more about being faithful to Jesus than it is about what people think of us. Within this local church, it's going to require your prayer. It's going to require you asking God to do what only he can do. Guys, remember Matthew 18. Remember Matthew 16, particularly. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Did you hear that? He will. You won't, but he will. I won't, but he will. He will build his church. Do we trust him? Do we believe that he's going to deliver? We've got to endure. We've got to pray. We've got to rely on him doing what only he can do, building his church. It's going to require your time. I just want to make a giant call with a great demand without the promise of any payout in it. And it's this, sacrifice your life for this local church. Orient your life around it. Put your your plans around the schedule of the church. Spend time with the people that are here. Give yourself to the mission of this church of making disciples and glorifying God. Give yourself to the goals that we've set for this year, but not only for this year, for the next five years or 10 years or 25 years. Be here, preach the gospel, and die here. Guys, that's a great call. It doesn't have a ton of promise outside of the fact that God will deliver. He will build it. And it may not be what we expect it to be, but he'll do it for his glory. That's our first call. Our second call is to obey God's commands. In light of this, we must obey God's commands. Verse 36, so you need endurance so that after you have done God's will. What is God's will? 
That's a giant philosophical question, isn't it? Let me just consider a few clear Bible truths that are God's will for you and for me. First is to kill our sin. To kill our sin, to deny it. Deny your sin. Brother or sister, obey God by denying your sin. Second, love your fellow Christian. Love your brother, love your sister. Even when you don't want to. Even when you're dreading a conversation that's going to be hard, love them. Third, in light of what we've heard already in Hebrews 10, don't forsake getting together when the going gets tough. Worship with others. You guys are going to like this one a lot. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. The bar is low. Read your Bible. Trust in God's word. This is, this is our authority. It's our source. It has everything we need so that we can know God and live for his glory. Read your Bible. It's how you can obey God. Read your Bible. Pray. Pray. Ask God to work within your life within the life of the people here, within the lost of this community. Give your time, your resources, your energy. Give your life for the gospel. Stand up to the tyranny of the world. Proclaim God's truth. And then finally, brothers and sisters, die and be with Jesus. Consider that a spiritual discipline for you, to die and be with Jesus, to prepare yourself well for that. Spurgeon tells of a story of a minister who went to go see one of his parishioners, and she was there, she was in the hospital, she was dying. And he said this to her, he said, my sister, you are very weak, don't you feel yourself sinking? Don't we feel like we're sinking right now a little bit? And she looked at him and gave no answer. But she did respond with this, she said, did I understand you, minister? Please tell me what you said. I hope you didn't say what I thought I heard. He's probably reeling at this point, thinking, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and he said, why, my dear sister, I said to you, don't you feel like you're sinking? And then she said, I did not think my minister would ever ask me such a question as that. Sinking? Did you ever know a sinner sink through a rock? I am believing in Jesus Christ. And if I were resting anywhere else, I might sink. But as I am resting upon him, did you ever know a sinner who sank through the rock? That's just the point. God assures us that if we believe, we cling to the rock of ages. That if we believe, we shall live. That if we live, we shall live by our faith under all circumstances and difficulties, he's the rock on which we can stand. So you may feel like you're sinking, but hold on to the rock that is Jesus, brother or sister. And finally, we should live in light of verse 39. We should not draw back and be destroyed. We should have faith and be saved. The image here is going to come again and what we see in the illustration that he uses in chapter 12, it's running the race. Don't draw back. Finish the race. Be the athlete who is running the race. Have your eyes set on that finish line and just keep going. 
It's going to hurt. There's going to be pain, but just keep going in Christ. Recalibrate your eyes on Him. Don't think about the pain. Don't think about your knees that are like completely shattering as you run. Just remember the end. Remember the goal. Standing with Jesus in glory. Remember what you have, what you possess in Him. Remember how you're saved. Have faith and be saved. How? Through grace alone, because of faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Christians, beware of persistent sin, but remember who you have in your Savior, Jesus. Endure. Obey God's word. Don't draw back. Keep fighting. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the energy that you give us to keep running your race. Thank you for saving us. I pray for anybody that doesn't know Jesus this morning, hasn't considered their sin in light of your wrath. God, that this would be a moment where their hearts are stirred up and turned to the hope that is in you that you've died for us. You have taken what's been required. You've made a way. And not only have you made a way, you've given us hope and new life. We can have purpose, as Glenn declared this morning in his baptism. We can go from dark places into the light, but only through you. Help us to trust in you alone. And when the going gets tough, May we lean on each other as this particular local church to strive for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite Matt to come and pray for our giving.